All right, guys, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I am your host, joined by my co-host, Miss Lexi Miller. How are you doing today, Lexi? Doing well, Andrew. Well, this one uh, was a really fun one for me to sit down and record. I, uh, I, ha- I think we've brought on a couple of other mental performance specialists on the podcast, whether it's someone like Addie Bracey. Um, we've got a, a couple of upcoming episodes. And I think the mental side of things, one of the things that we talk about um, is how mental performance is, is, I think, just as valuable as nutrition or even what we do, Lexi, in coaching endurance athletes. Um, but it has yet to really hit the mainstream or at least become as widely accepted as endurance coaching or nutrition coaching. Where do you, where do you land? Do you, uh, have you ever sought out some mental performance or practice any mental skills? I mean, I, I see a therapist every two weeks, but that's, I mean, and a lot of that is talking about confidence, especially coming back from having a baby. Like that's ex- extensively all we talk about is refined. And I mean, it's, she's not a mental performance therapist, but we talk about regaining confidence, regaining like my power that I felt like I had before I had a kid and, you know, mm. kind of felt that identity taken from me. So not specifically for sport, but for it, sports part of my life. So yes. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think what a lot of people need to understand. And I think one of the things that we try to do on this podcast a lot is open the conversation around mental health and the importance of why, why we need to not just, you know, work on the heart and the lungs, but also be able to have some strategies for that negative part of our brain that might go, oh, man, this is getting really hard. I can't do this. Um, or that pre-race anxiety. Uh, so that, that's a big part of this episode. And, um, you know, one of the one of the little fun working theories I have I share in this episode um, is is about how we show up, and do we show up as a player? Uh, and my definition of a player is someone who shows up. They're on the start line, and they they kind of go through the motions, right? They might have a little bit of apathy and kind of uh, whatever happens happens, and they get through the race, they get to the finish line, but they feel like they they left something out there that they didn't get to pull out the full effort. Whereas the competitor, that's a person that shows up and they are dialed in. They know what they want. It's not about fast. It's about focus. It's about having a desire and kind of getting, getting out of the race what you came for. Even if you miss your ultimate goal and you don't hit your time, it's about your internal drive and how you show up. And so that was one of the big things we talked about in this episode. And I have a question for you. And that is, how do you feel like you've been showing up to races lately? Do you feel like you've been showing up as the player or the competitor? Yeah. So, I mean, back to what I just said earlier with, uh, you know, working on that confidence, I've been a hundred percent player. I would say before, um, you know, again, pre-baby, I was at probably my strongest and was, you know, way more dialed in, way more in the moment. Whereas recently it's been, it's been hard to be fully focused, um, which I think is all seasons of your life, right? Like there's a time for everything as the birds would say, or I guess King <laughs> David originally. Um, but so I think that there's, there's a time for both. And I think it's really hard to get back into the mindset of a competitor. If you spend too long kind of hanging out in that, like just recreational player, I'm, I'm just here to enjoy the day. Yeah. But 
At the same time, one of my really good friends, uh, Blake, he had this, this kind of theory that he said, every race is a B race. You know, that's kind of how he always approached running races as a former professional cyclist. He said, oh, well, every race is a B race. And it's, it doesn't mean that you don't put pressure on yourself to perform, but you don't put pressure on the outcome, right? You put the pressure into training, you put the pressure into your mental preparation. And sometimes you can't control. I think back to, uh, this last weekend, uh, you know, we're recording these of course in advance. Uh, this was just a Leadville 100 and there was a nice long rainstorm and you know what, you don't get to, you don't get to predict the weather on race day. So you got to train it at all. And, uh, so sometimes that eight race, uh, conditions show up as eh, maybe more like C race conditions. And, uh, if you land on your B time on a, on a tough day with tough weather, it's a damn good day. So that's a big part of kind of what Priscilla and I talk about. We also kind of covered the dark corners of our mental spaces and how we can actually use those as fuel. Um, yeah, so really, really exciting episode that I'm excited to go ahead and jump into. Hey, you there. Are you interested in free coaching? Well, we're offering seasonal ambassadorships. Currently, we're taking applications for our winter program. This is for anyone racing between January 1st and March 26th. Please apply by September 30th. You can find the application uh, through our Instagram bio or on our website, lifelongendurance.com underneath services. All right, guys, welcome back or welcome to the Defining Endurance podcast. I'm your host, Coach Andrew Simmons. And today my guest is Priscilla Tallman and uh, she works in the field of mental performance. And before I actually get to the part where we actually talk with her, I wanted to maybe share, maybe this is my small rant that all of you guys get for this episode, but I want to share the importance of something like mental performance or nutritionist or anything along those lines, because what you have to remember is that, you know, there may be a price tag that's associated with that's maybe more than a single massage or a massage gun or a pair of shoes. But the reality is, is that often what you're getting on the backside of something like mental performance coaching um, or nutrition coaching or whatever it is, is that it is all coaching and you are paying for a certain level of understanding, a certain level of performance, and most likely a challenge uh, that you're going to get uh, on the other end of that. And so if you go into it just expecting there to be this exchange of thoughts and ideas for performance, uh, that's not what you're going to get. The reality is that this is about trying to change the way that you're looking at the world around you and perceiving and understanding and maybe just asking yourself, why do I feel that way? Uh, and even when you're in a place of performance and you have those moments of doubt, those questions, what do you do? How do you handle it? So my guest today, uh, Priscilla Tolman, thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope, I hope I gave you a, a good intro there, but I know that, uh, background wise, uh, you have a whole lot more than what I, uh, was able to give. So, uh, for those that are just listening, um, to kind of give you guys a little bit of a run back, uh, Priscilla actually joined for, uh, for two weeks at our high altitude camp that we put on in Keystone, Colorado. And, uh, Priscilla, while having a 
all sports volleyball background, uh, did a phenomenal job of bringing all of those skills and tools uh, that she's learned and used over the years uh, directly into the spotlight uh, for a lot of our uh, our youth runners. And uh, it was a really, really amazing experience for them. So I'm going to let her kind of give a little bit of background about where she went to school, where she played some volleyball, and uh, we'll hop into that. So Priscilla. All right. Yeah. And you know, what's super cool is even though, um, and it's been called sports ball as well to me and in other areas that are not ball sports. So ball sports, sports ball, whatever. Um, even though, you know, I typically stay with team sports, I learned so much about the individual mindset, watching you guys do your thing. Um, we caught you guys on a couple of runs, I think going up the face of Keystone was super cool saw you guys around town. So I uh, thoroughly enjoyed being able to be immersed in, a, in an individual type sport. So that was super fun. But yeah, my name is Priscilla Tallman. Um, I played volleyball at the University of Georgia, grew up in Austin, Texas. I so wanted to be a Texas Longhorn, but it was not in the cards for me. But Georgia ended up being a perfect fit. Um, I ended up playing all four years. Um, when I was there, I became a two-time first-team All-American, was freshman of the year, uh, my freshman year and then my senior year became player of the year for the SEC, which is our conference. I played on two tours with the U.S. national team, uh, including the World University Games, which was in Japan. I played professionally in Geneva, Switzerland, and now I coach. And so I coach a high school club, NAIA college, and um, really have honed in on the mental side of coaching not only for myself, but for my athletes, I blend it into everything I do. Uh, my undergraduate from Georgia was uh, in psychology, and I just knew I loved this stuff so much that I went back and got my master's in clinical psychology uh, from Vanguard. And so here's here's what I'm doing with it. And I, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Not just for my athletes, but for myself, like you were mentioning in the intro as well. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most remarkable things is that... Um... Gosh, it's got to be in maybe in the last five years, um, you know, we've seen a shift towards mental health and the prior and the, the word I'll use is prioritization of it um, at the collegiate level, um, I think at all levels, but I, I don't know if it's quite hit home yet uh, in the home, you know, as uh, as someone that, you know, I, I have an amazing wife in Katie who prioritizes a lot of you know, both self-reflection and self-work and kind of, you know, those types of things. But I don't know if, um, and, and part of the reason I have you on here is just to introduce more people to what mental coaching and mental performance really, really is. And how do we frame it? How do we, you know, what are, what should one expect from a mental coach or a guide? Um, and how do, how do we start that conversation? You know, it's something that seems still foreign to maybe even a little voodoo, uh, to talk about how do we harness um, that thing between our ears? Yeah. Um, one of the main reasons I went into this was initially in the youth sports kind of sector, I was one of those kids who really, um, I think it's important to know, I was I was not always good. Sometimes people hear, oh, she played at Georgia. She was an All-American. She played on the national team and professionally. And they think that I was always good at what I was doing. But I was actually um, a very young athlete. I skipped third grade and I graduated high school at 16. And so if you can imagine, uh, I'm developmentally two years behind everybody else, the kind of things and the toll it takes on not only me playing sports, being smaller and all that kind of stuff, but 
what coaches expected from me at, you know, 16 or 15 when I was a junior or, or senior in high school, a 17-year-old freshman, I'm being expected to do things that 19 or 20-year-olds are, are expected to do at, at 17. So there was a lot of performance anxiety um, that I had. There was a lot of anxiety over the pressure I had as a young athlete, um, trying to live up to the, the girls next to me who were not only um, age-wise older than me, they were developmentally, socially, emotionally, mentally older than me. And so, um, yet I was just trying to blend in like, Hey, I'm just like everybody else. Don't, don't think that I'm different, but feeling very, very different. Um, and so again, I think we initially put our kids in our, in sports and we do sports because there's all of these awesome things like teamwork and resilience and determination and like all this stuff that we think is there, but, but we don't really dial, like you're saying, dial back in and say, gosh, what is my child feeling? What mm. is this stressful for her? Like, and, and we don't talk about it because if the kid looks like everything's okay, then we assume everything's okay. We don't necessarily ask the question like, hey, how are things today? You know what I mean? And kids aren't just going to come home and share that. Well, and I don't think even adults, right? You you spoke to the child, but I also think to, you know, and this is this will get really meta here, like your inner child. Like, how's that, how's that person doing today? How are, you know, I think... Um, you know, as a coach that, that lives in two worlds of coaching, both adult and youth, you know, I'm, I'm often I often find that, you know, parents are far more willing to spend money on their kids than they are themselves, like over and over again, whatever the kid needs to do X, Y, or Z. And then, you know, maybe, maybe I'll buy myself a, you know, a new pair of sunglasses at the end of the month. If I really need them, um, these have been, you know, duct tape together for the last year. Whereas, you know, you'll go send your kid off to some camp for $1,200 or whatever it might be. And, you know, I, I wanted to touch back even earlier in what you said is performance anxiety. And I, I, it's one of those things that I, I want a good, clear definition of what is performance anxiety. I think if we frame it in terms of sport, um, it is literally uh, the block having access to your skill. So I always say this to athletes, um, you know, oh, why can I do this today? Why can I this? Why am I slow today? Well, could you do it yesterday? Yes. Do you think you'll be able to do it tomorrow? Yes. So it's not that you can't do it today. It's that you don't have access to your skill because of a distraction Maybe the distraction is I'm thinking about school. Maybe the distraction is uh, my, the financial situation in my home is really tight and my parents are stressing me out. Um, if we're talking about adults, the same thing, the performance of uh, maybe you um, have a presentation to give at work. And do you have access? Have you practiced your presentation? Yes. But the minute those lights go on or that minute that Zoom call starts rolling, all of a sudden, I think I don't have access to that skill. So I think the anxiety comes from that um, I know they call them mental blocks or whatever, but the anxiety for that performance comes from the, the um, outside stimulus without thinking like, I know how to do this. I did it yesterday. I practiced. I know what I'm doing. And then the camera goes on for your Zoom and you're fine. Yeah. But we, we build up all of these things. And half the time, to be honest, Andrew, we go into things performance-wise without even trying to prepare ourselves without trying to take a breath, without trying to run through like, uh, you know, how am I doing right now? Wow. There's a lot of people out there. What is that making me feel like? Mm. We just launch into whatever we're doing and think that we're just going to have access just because, you know, I've trained hard enough. Well, <laughs> if we don't train the mind 
we won't have access to as much physical as we have trained for. There's going to be a disconnect. So we have to train both. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting, you know, it's not like we're not training ourselves to all of a sudden get a phone call and be ready to respond to, you know, we're not firemen. We're not, we're not training to, you know, like respond to an emergency, right? What we're doing isn't an emergency. Actually, we have a whole lot of time to think about it. And depending on how you perceive that, that's either a huge opportunity to think through mentally walk through. And, you know, one of the things I love, and this is just an aside is I've been watching a lot of the diamond league races and I'll watch the high jumpers. And one of the things that you'll see them do is that before, right at the, right before they start their jump, you can see them and they're, they're, they're thinking through the whole jump before they even go to jump, right? They've already planned out. They're like, okay. And then, you know, penultimate step and right. Like you will watch them come over and I'm like, okay, now I'm trying to put this into the world of coaching and distance running. Like, when are we ever asking athletes or people to take a step back and like walk through the race or walk through the thing, right? The thing being whether it's where am I stuck? Like you mentioned, is it going into just your easy run and things didn't feel good? Is it taking the time, like that little bit of practice to ask yourself, uh, oof, why didn't that go well today? Instead of just going, today was poop. It was just shitty and I didn't like it. It, nothing went right when in reality it was about five minutes. It didn't go well. Yeah. It's, it's what's so funny is that, so I will watch the Olympics. Um, I try really hard just to kind of like watch it as a fan, but there are things I'm watching. Cause these are like, so these volleyball players, like they're phenomenal. And I love watching like, what is their process, you know? And, um, you'll see them take a, a breath before a serve, like in volleyball, there's, there's like really natural places for us to take a breath in between points before a serve. Uh, in serve receive. And I'm sure there's also those points within running as well, these natural breath points. And so I'll look at them and I'll see a server every now and again, not take a breath. I'm like, she's going to miss her serve. And I'll like nudge my husband. I'm like, she's going to miss her serve. And she misses her serve Mm -hmm. because sometimes, you know, you go back to the line and maybe there's things happening and, and the rally goes fast, but um, you know, there is still that intentionality of like, every time I go back to do this, or every time there's that natural break, it may be on the course when you're running, I'm going to take that breath and I'm going to kind of reset everything. Yeah. That ability to, to take a pause and, you know, reconnect. I think when I think, and just did an episode with a, with a good friend just before this, and we were talking about how our best races are often the ones where we're, we're the most connected. And at the same time, we're the most disconnected. Like we, we call it the Lebowski moment, right? Like you're just kind of, Hey man, like you're just kind of there, you know, but you're, you know, what's happening. Like you're observing like, Oh, cool. Like that's about on pace for what I wanted today. And you're not like letting things escalate. You're not letting yourself go negative. You're just kind of riding in this, like kind of subconscious of like, this is good. This is a good place to be, but getting into that, that flow state, that place. And kind of like, eliciting and getting yourself into that is so difficult and being able to harness that at at any level. It's not just a youth level thing. It's not just a professional level thing. Anybody can do it, but it's not, it's not easy. And sometimes it's just taking a breath to put yourself into that place. Um, And I'm curious to kind of understand, and I'll ask the question bluntly, like, is that flow state really real? Or is it just something we all imagine when we're having a good day? 
Gosh, I don't know. I, I, I have read a lot of books on, uh, um, I like Steve Magnus. I've read, um, there's another book called Peak Performance, which is very similar to your name, but I don't can't remember <laughs> who the writer is. Er- Erickson, I think, somebody. Um, anyway, I've read a lot of books on that. And there is a lot of research to say that that flow state does exist. Um, for me personally, I know it's there um, because there's there's a complete difference in the way I'm doing things and performing. And there's a place that is just, um, anybody who's experienced it knows what that is. Um, it's peaceful, but you're like, you're like on it. It's so Mm -hmm. counterintuitive. The two forces that are working at the same time, you're at your best, but you're actually not thinking at all. Um, so I would say, yes, it does exist. I don't have any scientific research myself. However, other than just experiencing it and reading a ton of books that that confirm that it is a thing. Um, being able to get to it, I think is the harder part. Mm. And that does, that does take, I think it takes a lot of practice in um, a lot of reps of, of failing and finding out where those, uh, where that is for you. Cause everybody's is different. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I can't imagine um, someone like a 40 yard dash there. I don't know if there's a flow state of that. It's so fast. Like, how do you, yeah. You know, I, mean? you know, I think, I think, uh, I think it's this, it's this interesting marriage of like self-confidence and like, you know, like you, you have this great, beautiful belief of yourself and what, and maybe I think a lot of that flow state, that quietness, it probably comes in the blocks. It probably comes that as you're getting in to the blocks and you're stepping back, you're getting your hands on the line and you're just, it's good. It's calm. Like, you know, that you've put yourself in that position. And I think again, for, for a sprinter, you know, to, to put a good race together, a good race is maybe 10 seconds. Maybe like if you're really, really fast, it's not even 10 seconds. And that all that, that, that mental preparation is all in your start, bad start, bad race, you know? And I, um, I even think of like outside of our sport, like something like golf, like golf doesn't sound like a mentally challenging sport. It sounds like something, uh, you know, to, to beer drinking, club swinging kind of thing. But the reality is, is that serious golf is seriously mentally taxing because if you have, you know, uh, a bad drive, you know, you're, you get a handful of shots, but you also have to be mentally engaged with that game for multiple hours. It's not just 10 seconds, right? So it's kind of choose your, you know, would you rather have a death by a thousand cuts or be in a knife fight? You know, it's 10 seconds or is it, you know, three hours. And I think of that flow state and, and you and I touched on it just before we got on, this was like, it's not always a pretty place. You know, do you, I want, I want to hear you share, you were talking a little bit earlier <laughs> about, 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 about the, the, the dark space. Yeah. Um, it's funny. So Katie and I, uh, your wife, Katie and I went to a coaching conference and they've, they've touched on it before where it's this dark place that sort of drives different things. It can drive, performance, it can drive creativity. Um, but it's not always pleasant. But I, I always smile when when people talk about that, because if they're talking about it, it means they know what that is. Mm. And, and I think for some of us, it's embarrassing. Like you don't want to talk about, uh, for me, it was how aggressive I could be as an athlete, um, how I was not probably the nicest person on the court. However, it did make me an incredible competitor. Um, and when I speak to anybody now who knows me as an athlete and whether that was a coach that I played against or played with or athletes, um, they'll say, 
you know, I hope you have not lost your competitive drive. I hope it's still there because that is a really good thing. Um, and to have people affirm that is wonderful. But um, the example I gave you earlier was, first of all, I don't have a lot of places to express that anymore, just to be honest. Like <laughs> a, a coach, it's not appropriate for me to express the dark place as a coach to my athletes. That is, uh, would not help mental health. That place is for me. Um, and I was on the rowing machine. So I was doing a garage workout and it's been a while since I've been in there. I just kind of been starting to get back onto, you know, into some kind of routine after summer and, uh, halfway through my row, I start to feel, I don't even know what I was doing a thousand meters, 500, even know something, um, halfway through that time, I kind of went to that place. Um, it, I, I felt like I needed to row faster and I got a little bit more aggressive and I was pulling on the, the rower a little bit harder. Uh, and that, when that happened, everything just kind of got quiet, I had a podcast in my ear, but it all went quiet. And mm. I was remember thinking like, Oh, I love this place. Oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is the part of sport that I love. And even when I'm preparing for a presentation, like this is the place that, that makes me like come alive. Mm. So yeah, I think it's that really, uh, it's a competitive place. Uh, and it's, it's usually not socially appropriate to be that competitive, um, at the grocery store yeah. or the gas pump. Like, so it is, I think they call it dark because you know what, most of us don't need to be like that 24 hours a day. No, but you also have to remember that when you're competing, it's not about who's, who can be the nicest. That's rarely the competition at hand. And so, um, you know, we we're, we're good to swear on this podcast, but sometimes <laughs> you just have to have that you attitude and that's, what's going to carry you and, and, and push you into that, that, that place, that dark place, I, I think is something that, um, some people are, are afraid of it because I think when we associate dark with it, it means bad, but mm -hmm. I think oftentimes like our best, our best motivators are, you know, often our, our pain and our, our discomfort are, are things like, you know, where we have to be able to use them. You know, this isn't, it isn't always a bad thing. I think that some of the people that are some of the greatest athletes in the world have experienced, um, you know, significant pain and trauma, um, and discomfort. And, and you, anyone would be lying if they, they said that they didn't harness that when they mm -hmm. train or when they compete, like that's a, um, that's a place you go to. And it's, it's, it's okay to go to those places. Um, and for me, you know, very often, um, you know, like being able to tap into that, whether it's, you know, using something like music or, you know, some sort of other trigger, like if I'm going to, if I'm on the bike and I know that I'm going to do a hard interval session, like I'm not listening to Taylor Swift, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's gotta be a little rough, a little rowdy. Um, but that's, that's what helps me step into, into that place. Um, cause I I'd like to think that eventually you get good enough that you can, you can choose when you want to go in there, hopefully. Yeah. And, and what, what you're kind of hitting on, which I was thinking of when you were speaking a little bit, um, was some of the same things that motivated me as an athlete were the same things that stopped me and why I ended up stop not playing and pursuing it past. I think, I don't know how old I was, maybe 25. Um, when I probably still had a few years left. Right. And so, yes, I have, you can have a chip on your shoulder. I can, I, most of my driving forces were as an athlete, like, oh yeah, watch me. Like you said, I can't do this. Like during yeah. the recruiting process, it was painful. People like 
adult coaches would be like, oh, you'll never play. You'll never play. You'll never start one minute at Georgia. There was a lot of um, negative things that in me made me like kind of puff up and put on this persona of like, oh yeah, watch me. Uh, oh, really? I'm not going to start as a freshman. Watch me. Oh, I won't right. make a NCAA record. I won't be an All-American. Watch me. And so some of those things did motivate me initially, uh, but they also were the same things until you can resolve some of it that that kind of put me into being done with it completely because that isn't sustainable. So like you're saying, it's we need to find a way to have the drivers, but also come off the court and be a regular person um, have active working emotions, um, understand some of what does drive me, whether that's my fear or it's my chip on my shoulder or it's a, I got to prove myself. I don't want to disappoint people. We sort of have to understand those fears and that that place as well. Otherwise, it will be the same thing that kind of uh, maybe implodes on us. Does that I make mean, sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. And it makes me think about our why, you know, I think that's a, it's a big word. It's a big, it's a very big three letter word uh, for so <laughs> few letters. It, it sure carries a whole lot of weight. Um, you know, I think about our why, and I think for a lot of people, you know, on, on my end of things, um, you know, when I think about individuals, the why is so important because people will say, Oh, I'm not motivated. It's like, no, you're, you're motivated. If you understood why you wanted to do something like I want to run a marathon. Why? Right. And so it's, it's, it's actually taking the time to dig in, I think, to understanding like what's actually motivating you to do that. What is your why behind it? Are you doing it for the leukemia lymphoma foundation because your uncle has leukemia? Well, that's a great why that's a beautiful why to have. Do you want to do it because, um, you want to, you've set a big goal for yourself and you don't think that you can accomplish it. And it's a big, scary thing. And that's, is it, is it about personal, like what is, what is going to get you out of bed in the morning? And I think one of my um, like favorite all time like hype videos or whatever it is um, is uh, this guy Dr. Eric Thomas, and he talks about like who are you doing this for as much as a why, and um, that's just one of those things where it's always like, yeah, you know what? I want to be better today. I want to, I want to be better at what I'm doing today than I was yesterday. So I'm going to keep going out and going after it. But that why piece, I feel like that's got to be the core of, of what drives us, but maybe that's, maybe I'm off. Well, it's, it's, um, that's one of the exercises we did at, um, your camps, the retreats this summer with your, your kids and oh my gosh, their, their wives compared to like, I would say, um, 15 years ago, I, what I love about young people right now is these kids can articulate things mm. because we're so much more open about mental health and we're more open about things. I love that kids now really can, can, they have language for stuff. And I feel like back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, uh, we just weren't talking about this stuff and the, why really what we try to help them understand as part of our value system. It's based in the things that we, um, you know, where we collect our values and the values are collected from our families, our school system, our friends. If we're a part of an organized religion, if we're our, our ethnicity is a certain um, background. So we do get values from lots of different places. And so the, the why is kind of born out of that value system. So if I were to look at mine now, um, my values for coaching are things like 
Um, I want to, you know, influence the next generation. I want to help coach up leaders. I want to every day speak kindness uh, and truth into these athletes' lives because uh, I know they're not getting it everywhere else. So if I can be the one person that they're hearing these things. So these are the things that drive me value-wise. Um, along with it's fun. I love it. It makes me a better person. There's all of those things as well. Um, but yeah, really understanding why we do something is based in our values first, but then it will help drive um, us to keep showing up every single day. Um, yeah, I had, I, I really quickly though, I had a, I had a coaching experience that was not amazing as a coach. Um, it was really hard for me to, to go every day and knowing what my values were, what were exactly what you're saying is what got me up in the morning. I could, could get up, I get in my car and I go and I'm like, this is why I'm going. And every day to show up in that vulnerability, even though the outside was tough, I still knew what I believed on the inside and that got me in my car every day. So. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I can hear, I can hear uh, the listeners out here, hopefully, you know, on their long run or they're driving to work. They're like, that's awesome. I kind of understand this why thing. I think I know why I'm doing this, but how do you help people uncover that for themselves? Like if there is an exercise or there is a, you know, uh, not that there's a three-step process to figuring this out, mm -hmm. but what are some of the questions that you ask or ask people to ask themselves to help kind of uncover something that may be a little hidden for them in their why? Yeah. So I started really loving this. Uh, I want to say five, six years ago when I first started back into coaching, like, why am I doing this again? Like what in the world is driving me to do this? Um, I'd come across a handful of books, but one of the best ones that I read was, uh, gosh, I cannot remember the title of it, but it's a Brene Brown book. And she has, um, uh, in one of her books, it's, it's basically, and you can actually Google this, like Brene Brown values or something. And there's a list of values and she has you walk through the list of your values. There's, there's listed, I don't even know how many are on there, 30, 40, something like that. And you go through and you circle what your values are. And then she has you break it down. So that's awesome. Great. You circled 15. Now go back and circle the top five. Okay. Now go back and out of those five, circle the top three. Um, and that's really where I started to develop my, my why was oh man, like these are my main values. Everything I do is from this, um, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, cause I, I'm a big person on perseverance and determination. Those are some of my two very high, uh, values in my family, in my life. I, I, I think and believe that getting up and showing up, even when you feel scared or you feel alone or you feel embarrassed, getting up and showing up is such a big deal. So those are two big ones for me. Um, but they could be things like when I talk to athletes, they can be things like fun. Fun is a value. Friendship is a value. Joy is a value. Faith, um, happiness, perseverance, uh, financial security. There's a lot of them out there. So understanding that is huge because it's how we make decisions. And if we don't know what our values are, um, we begin to make decisions kind of like based on culture, based on mm -hmm. social media, based on what ad they serve me on Facebook. Okay. That looks cool. I guess I'll buy that. Right. That's not a good value based decision. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it totally makes sense because I see it. I see it so much with our high school kids. You know, we have kids that come into the program and they're like, I'm here because it's fun. My friends have fun here. And then like we have an upper level team, which is our elite team. And the kids that come in, they're like, I don't really, 
understand this upper level thing because for them, and, and I think of this as even on a personal level for someone that's out there that is a, a runner, it's maybe getting that Boston qualifier or reaching to a sub three hour marathon or whatever your personal barrier is, you know, they see it as a barrier and they don't understand why anybody would want that until there's a value change. There's something that clicks or, you know, something that goes along and they're like, oh, I actually want more than fun. And that values and the values that they shared when they came into the group or with that coach or whomever it is, it was this. And then there's this kind of fight struggle maybe, or there's just this arc of, of humanity where then values change. And it's okay to have values change. Sometimes we feel like we're giving something up when our values change, but when our values change and we start to actually kind of take ownership of those pieces, which is a huge part of my coaching is kind of getting kids to own and understand their values. Then they come back and they go, actually, I I understand what this is about now, because these are the people that their values have shifted from fun into competition and maybe reaching for that scholarship. Cause I'm sure that you probably played on many teams early on that as you were kind of getting your feet wet, it was about fun. It was, it was rec level. It was fun. And then eventually you decided that you valued something different and you valued something more and you moved on to a team that was different. Um, and you, you had to have, there was that moment of like, Oh, I'm letting all my fun friends go to go up to these big leagues that are scarier, but this is eventually where I want to get to. And this is the path. I'm laughing because, uh, because uh, I am such a competitive person. I, I'm not sure sports have ever been fun for me. Like they've always been, I've always been such a driven person. And I also laugh because I, I'm an extreme introvert. So stepping out of my, my shell is now I can do it. I'm a grown up. I've, I've learned how to do it, but as a, as a nine, 10 year old, Oh my gosh, the last thing on my mind was fun. I was horrified to be uh, on a team. And then they're like, well, you got to talk, like communicate. I'm like, you know, my mouth is frozen. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> so I am laughing, but yes, um, it got more fun. The, and this is, this sounds crazy, but the better I got at my sport, the more fun it became because you see success when you're not good at something, it's not very fun. And I wasn't good for so long that it wasn't very fun. And once I was able to do the skills and I was able to kind of catch up physically and some of those things, um, it was way more fun. And, and fun is part of it for me now as well. It's come back, but in the, in the, the heat of it, it really was, you know, competition and, Mm. and what, what can I win today? Really? Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people, if they, if they have a certain amount of talent for something, you know, it, it's, it comes easier to them. And then we get into, of course, and, you know, the, the laws of, you know, comparing and it's just not, not a great place when it comes to that. But one of the things that gets really hard, and I think about sports, whether it's, it's a team sport or an individual sport is, you know, bouncing back, like injuries are part of sports. There isn't a sport out there that doesn't, isn't going to give you an overuse injury or, you know, some sort of freak thing. Um, you know, someone steps on your foot, you go this way, they go that way, whatever it might be. Um, and, and we then are stuck with having to really deal with why we're doing that sport. 
Mm. You know, we, we have that, that harsh reality of maybe having to come back from an injury. And, um, I know one of the tools I actually have sitting here next to me. Um, so promo shout out is, uh, (laughs) your, your return to play journal. And this isn't just a, a team sports thing, but I wanted to touch on the power of journaling and writing for a second, as we, we parlay into kind of talking about that resource for people, um, beyond just understanding, you know, or return to play, like, do you feel that journaling and writing is something that is foundational to unlocking more of your why and what, what drives you in sport? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting that journal was actually written based on, I've done the why and the fear exercise with so many athletes. And one of the number one fears of athletes is being injured. And because it separates us from that thing that we love, but it also separates us from um, our support system, people who care about us, people who are trying to make us better. And we end up in a place where we're sort of by ourselves and have to do all of that ourselves, um, which we can do, but it's really good to have a coach do that for us. So whenever we are um, sort of removed, uh, it is a good idea to take that five, 10 minutes to kind of write down how we're feeling. Um, journaling in and of itself. I've done um, a lot of research in it. I've always been a writer. So it was something I've done. So it wasn't like, oh, journaling is cool. And it's researched. Let me go and make a journal. It was out of a love of me loving to write and, and even pen to paper. I love writing with a pen on paper. That's just my thing. But mm. um, the research does show that journaling will reduce our stress hormone, which is cortisol it can reduce that. So it's obviously not a magic pill that we're taking, but the process of writing, the process of thinking and putting those thoughts on paper um, really does rewire our brain in a very positive way. And we know that when we have lower cortisol, we have lower stress, which means our immune uh, uh, system isn't going to function as well. So if we can not have uh, increased cortisol, right? We can't have this whole stressful environment. Our immune system is going to function better and it's also going to help our recovery getting back to what we're doing. Um, so that that's kind of the huge reason is there's so much out there. Uh, James Pennebaker is one of my favorite ones, uh, researchers on expressive writing. Uh, he has a ton of stuff out there. He's, he's very good. He's at the university of Texas. Um, and he's, uh, his research is, is cited in so many books that talk about journaling as being a tool, uh, for mindset, but also for healing, just healing through things. Um, it's not going to heal your physical injury, but it's going to help you along that process. Yeah. I think, you know, the word I'll use is coping, you know, like you, you know, I've had my fair share. I've broken my foot. I've broken an ankle. Um, you know, I've had some chronic injuries and, you know, for me, you know, often going out and doing my sport is that place of stress relief, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. and then to not have that outlet, it's like, you know, you're, you're starting to shake and everything. You're like, you're like, I need to get my energy out, but I'm, I'm broken in a way that isn't going to allow me to, it's not the same. Getting on the rower is never going to feel like a run. A bike ride is never going to feel like a run. You know, a run is a run. A bike ride is a bike ride. If it's your sport, Mm -hmm. that's going to give you that outlet. And so, you know, being able to get that out somewhere. Even if you're not a great writer, you don't have to be a great writer. You just need to emote, uh, somewhere and, yep. and maybe just kind of ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the what I love specifically about that one um, <laughs> is that um, had a couple of girls that I coached who had various injuries, concussion, I think was one of the girls. Um, and it, it really was this idea that when they were going to, they, they were being pulled away from the training to, to where they were going to get. And so um, the comment she made to me was, I just want to be the player I was when I was 16. And I keep having this chronic back injury and I can't get back there. And my, my coaching to her was like, she's gone. The 16 year old you, who was mm-hmm. injured that sustained that injury at the peak of what she thought was her best is gone. Um, but now you're 18 yep. and 18 can hold muscle mass better. 18 is wiser. 18 can uh, eat better, sleep better. Right. So, so again, helping them understand that that whole journal goes through this process of I'm not the same athlete, which is the bummer. And that's the grieving part, man, I'm not the same athlete. But at the very end of the four weeks, as we go through various things, um, talking about values in that in that journal as well, um, different kinds of communication, visual visualization is in there. Um, you get to the fourth week, and it's also I'm not the same athlete. But right. now it's like I'm not the same athlete. Like I'm better. I can do more. Um, and it's 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 framing that and helping these uh, athletes, whether you're an adult or you're uh, a youth athlete, it's framing that of like. Yeah, we're on pause for a little bit. If it's not a catastrophic injury where it pulls you completely away for years, um, you're going to be back, you know, and it's a matter of getting to that place and saying, I'm not the same athlete, but I'm not the same athlete. Yeah. And I, and I think to that, you know, I think, you know, whether it's taking a break because of life or school or job or family that takes priority there, I think one of the places that I find people get stuck. And this is, you know, um, very interesting way to guess, look at it and how it was even framed for me, uh, going through some therapy and some trauma in my, you know, early life of like, I spent a lot of time looking back at that, uh, that person who I, who I was, And, you know, like that, that looking back, whether that's, you know, who an athlete was two years ago, you know, maybe they ran their best in, in their first couple of years of high school. Um, and 10 years later, 15 years later as an adult, they're like, I'll never get back to that person. Um, or it's, it's someone that, that was, you know, 15 months ago and they've gone through puberty and they've gone through all of those things. And there, there, there's this place that we get stuck, get, we get stuck stuck there because we, we just want to be back to what the best was, right. That was, and, and, and what it should be, right. We, we put this connotation of should, and, uh, I believe this was, uh, one of my prior guests, John Levitt said, don't, you know, you should stop shooting on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and should, should, should we start to use that language and we, we kind of set a belief system for ourselves that things have to be a certain way for that, for us to be successful. And if it's not this perfect paradigm, so how do we shift from looking behind ourselves and what was and what should be to what is and what can be? Um, there's a word I like to use called reality, (laughs) (laughs) not reality television. That is not reality, but, um, you know, gosh, if you like, if you look at Instagram, there are so many cool accounts out there for people that are like, have, have played 
college sports and they are now not, and they're helping, um, at, there's one called fueling former athletes. Uh, there's one called retired college athletes. She does, uh, she does a podcast on, uh, I think, uh, retired college athletes, basically. Um, there's one about, uh, Victoria Garrick. She's a big one. She's talks about body image and all the shame she had in her playing days. She was a volleyball player at, uh, university of Southern California. So it's, it's what it is, is it's really coming in contact with reality. Like I am 40, I turned 48 this summer. Um, I will never be as good as I was like ever again. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm way smarter. I can play and I can sort of kind of do a good job just because I know that I can see the game in a way that I never saw at 20. Um, but much like probably you are as a runner, but you see things, you know what your body's, you know where to push now, you know where to pull back. It's just such a different thing when you have like wisdom of your sport. Um, but I will never be as physically good as I was at the top of my physical training game. So my reality is, do I really want to play volleyball and crush volleyballs? You know, that would feel really good. <laughs> like, I wish I could. My reality is uh, I would be destroyed for a week after. I probably couldn't get out of bed. I probably couldn't bend my knees. Like, my shoulder would be a mess. Like, it's not it's not worth it. So my reality is it's not it's not quite worth it to me to do to exchange that. Um but that's mine. And there are people my age who are still playing competitively in tournaments and doing things. So that's their reality. That's what they value. Again, we come back bumping into our values because my reality is my, it doesn't match my value system to crush it on the weekend and be destroyed for a whole week. My value says, Hey, you know what? Coach people as best you can play recreational, do what you got to do. Um, but, but I know what I'm actually capable of. That yeah. makes sense. No, it totally does because I, I I think it's it's but it's confronting that reality. Mm-hmm. That's where people get stuck is they don't want to confront the fact that um that they won't be that person again, but they are who they are right now. And you can always change that if you decide again, like we talked about earlier, is that your value system can change. If you all of a sudden decided like I want to take volleyball serious again, I want to go crush it. I want to go crush running again. I'm going to go part-time at my job and I'm going to focus on trying to get an Olympic trials qualifier and try to hit that standard. You know, this is my last window or these are the last years that I feel like I really could. Then you, you either have to change your values or change your reality and Mm -hmm. boy, they kind of go hand in hand. So, you know, that's, that's what it, what it takes. I think the only time that that doesn't hold up is when we are in the injury itself, when we are going through the process of, of healing, because that's the time when we are, again, those can be very defining moments, right? Those are times for us to define and work through those values. And so using a journal and a tool or, and, and, you know, seeking out that coaching and that help, like when you are injured is the time to be seeking out these people to guide you through and help you identify those values. And I think that's one of the things that you showed our group very well was just, you know, getting more intimate with your why during a a time of formation, not that these kids aren't all injured by any means, but you're coming to them when they are starting to form an understanding of values and why. Oh yeah. Well, and, and I love that because man, this stuff was not available when I was playing. This just was work harder, do more. And then I think I shared this with your group. Like if you do it badly, you will be running as punishment. <laughs> like, right. um, you know, I have this trauma, childhood trauma around sprints and running, but, um, 
did you see me like black out right there? I was like, I went to this place, like, oh, it's horrible. Um, no, but, but I think that's what I love is that these kids can do that. But unfortunately, as adults, we tend to think, well, I'm this age and I'm this, uh, you know, this is just who I am. I'm stuck here. Like, no way. Like we can always form new, uh, you know, grooves in our brain. It's called neuroplasticity because it has been proven that we can change our learning. Um, and, and if you aren't a good leader today, or you aren't a good public speaker today, it can be trained. It just matters. Do I care enough to be these things? Do I care enough to lead? Well, do I care enough to be really good as a mother, um, or a family person? You know, for me, a huge value is family and raising my children. I want to be around for them. So I have to make decisions based on that, which again, is part of my reality is tied into that that value system. Um, but again, I, again, yes, the youth, absolutely. I love it, but let's do this work as grownups. Cause then guess what? We can be healthy grownups for our children. Mm. We can be healthy grownups for the kids that we coach. And I don't have to now, like you were saying earlier, I don't have to touch on that, uh, hurting inner child when I'm coaching kids. Cause I don't need to do that. Like I can coach them out of the healthiest parts of who I am, make them better. And I'm also at the same time healing myself. Yep. Uh, by doing this hard work because it's hard. It's hard yeah. as a grown up. <laughs> it's it's real hard work. But I know that that those hardest days often like you know just around the corner means that I'm gonna my payback is is not the national championship team or the you know whatever athlete. It's it's the kid that shows up and is like, hey, can I talk to you? And you're like, oh, great. I got to win. That's my win. I, I opened up a door for a kid that didn't feel like they could talk to an adult or it's, you know, on the other side, working with adults when they, when they do achieve something that they didn't think was possible there, right? It was that for them that they, they allowed themselves to be in a place of regular discomfort and question that they wouldn't allow themselves to be in otherwise. You know, if my favorite is coaching people for their first marathon or ultra or name it because you get one first time at a certain distance. And so there's always this weekly advancement of the long run. And it's this, they, they're, it's into the unknown. It's, it's like, okay, I've never run eight miles before. I ran seven miles for the first time last week. Let's go to eight. And when you're in the marathon, it's like, it's long, it's 18 miles. It could be two, three, four hours that you're out there pushing yourself. And every step after a certain point is, it's the most steps I've taken maybe in a whole day or, mm. you know, the longest I've ever run ever. Um, and you, you, ch it changes you, you know, and that's, that's not saying that running is, is, is the place that changes you, but I'm sure you experience that even in your sport where there are places where you see people do things for the first time they get, you know, something happens. Um, and it's, it's like, they're walking through that every single day. Um, and they, they then take that little piece of like self-awareness self, you know, that, that self-consciousness, that negativity starts to become, maybe I am capable and it shifts. Mm -hmm. And that's just like that value shift, right? They start to value different things from when they started and such a cool thing to see. It's like my favorite, favorite thing as a coach. Well, I think what you're saying is that you actually have watched them learn Yeah, and it's pretty cool to watch that. Um, and whenever it sounds like you're do, you do this well, but whenever I see that, whenever I see a kid 
kind of grasp the concept or translate my cue or feedback into action, man, I make sure and say, did you see what you just did? And they always think they're in trouble. Always. Always. What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> what did I do wrong? No. Did you see that? Did I see what? Like, did you see how you, you passed that ball or did you see how you do this? And I'll, yeah. I'll, tell, I'll show them like, what did you do with your arms? They're like, I did this. And they're again, it's always this like, uh, hesitant. And what did you do with your legs? I did this. I'm like, yeah. And did you see that pass? It was so good. Like, and I get so excited about that point for them because it will change their practice. It will change. So they have all of a sudden they're like, okay, I did that. I did that. Like she gave me these words and I put the words into action and I did it. And I think, man, yes, yes, yes. For our child uh, and kid athletes, but oh man, for you to give that gift to an adult, I think is huge. It's huge because we just don't hear it as adults. People don't tell me every day, you did that. Like nobody comes up to me and (laughs) congratulates me 10 times a day. Right. So when I have a chance, I, man, I go, I get crazy excited about people when they do things like that. It's huge. Oh yeah. And even if it's small things, you know, just like, even if I just put it in the comments from somebody of like, Hey, you know, I, um, I got, I was able to get a ton of calories in for this long run. And maybe that was a place that they've been struggling to just eat during a long run. Or they found something. I'm like, that's amazing. Like, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. This is a huge win. And they're like, is it? And you're like, yeah, like yeah. this is, you know, this has only been an issue for three months. Um, but it's also been three months of us trying to figure it out and we had a breakthrough. And I think what's so important is that, after a certain age, you know, and I think one of the things that's really hard about leaving the team sport, even though running is an individual sport, is that if you've run since middle school, played any sport, you went every single day, or at least during your season, and you had people. You mm-hmm. had a people, a construct that you showed up for, they showed up for you. There's just this agreement that, and then once once you have to start doing your thing on your own, right? Like like you and I talked about, I got to go get in the garage and get on the rower. I got to go, you know, get a run in or whatever. And there's no one waiting in the garage. Be like, dude, you ready to go? Like, let's go do this thing. Right. Like you then have to be the person that pats you on the back. So to, as an adult to have somebody go like, did you rock that out? It's just like, what? Like, <laughs> yes. Okay. This is amazing. Why, how is this happening? And you, it, it almost kind of puts you back and, you know, so you almost get callous to these it only has to be these huge things that happen to you. Like I have to go run a marathon to feel that way. And so that's why I think some people chase those things, which can be a little dangerous, but it's always very interesting as a coach to watch adults because they almost get bashful about like, that's not that big of a deal. I'm like, dude, kind kind of is a big deal. Like you got to be able to give yourself some credit here. Well, and I've had coaches say, I don't want to tell them too many good things because then they're going to get like, they're going to get lazy on me or they're going to, you know, then they're just not going to perform well. But I a hundred percent believe that our people, whether it's family, spouses, athletes, they internalize what we say. And so they're going to take what we say from the outside and they're going to take it to the inside. And again, mm. if you have a, a grown up or an adult who hasn't had that, let's say a 40 year old runner, and maybe they're trying to do things, but they have been either, you know, beaten down by bosses, uh, relationships, friends, parents growing up. Now they're coming to you at the age of 40 with very little of that internal positive, good self-talk. Like they're not going to get excited about eating during a long run. 
Yeah. Right. And so now you are teaching them to have that really good, positive inner self-talk, these things like, Hey, that, that is a good thing. And they might not believe you. I mean, I've had girls I've coached where I've done, I coach this way and all the time. And it takes a solid six months to a year for them to believe anything that I'm saying. Um, but once they do, and they trust not only me, but they begin to trust themselves. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty magical to watch a kid, um, especially a tougher kid, a tougher kid that's, you know, I don't believe you. Oh, I don't, you know, there's resistance. Um, it's pretty cool to see that child or that kid turn around and go like, wait a minute, like I'm kind of good at this and not in a cocky way, but in a way that's going to help them perform better. And they lose some of that mental blockage or that, that performance anxiety we talked about before, because now they have access to the skill all the time, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is they, it's almost a self-awareness that comes over them of like, oh, I can, and I trust and I now see it for me. They have to arrive at it on their own. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm sure you experience as a coach. You'll say something 999 times. But for whatever reason, the 1,333rd time you say it, it clicks. And you could never predict it. You can't. There's no perfect way you know, to get that buy-in from people or anything like that. It's just, they go... Oh, so you mean like this? And you're just like, yes, <laughs> hello, welcome, like welcome, welcome aboard. You you are here, and not in a bad way, but in a way that's just like now we're talking the same language. And from that moment forward, there's a whole new layer of trust both within themselves and with you as the coach, which I think is is so powerful. And I think what that really takes is to have that special level of relationship. Also requires that the athlete has to come with a certain level of vulnerability. And I think that's really what we were speaking to earlier, that this new generation um, and even the generation that parents this group has to be able to do. They have to be able to show up vulnerably. I can't tell you how many times I thought back to my years in wrestling in high school and middle school. And if my coach made a mistake, it was definitely our fault. Like there was no way it wasn't our fault. It was definitely our fault for something, whatever it was. And only until I got beyond that, that phase and that place did I have people going, Hey man, I made a mistake. You know what? This is my fault. I'm sorry. Um, and whether it's taking ownership or just showing up vulnerably and saying, you know, guys, we're not going to have class today. I'm having a really rough day. Like we'll have class next Tuesday, whatever it might be. Um, and people just showing up vulnerably and no one was like, man, that guy's weak. That guy, you know, it's just like, yeah, he's going through some stuff and you know, there's no judgment, but mm-hmm. That level of vulnerability, I think both as coach and athlete has become the, I guess the word I'll use is, um, oh, oh, I can't even get it, get my words out today. It, it, it's really become kind of our currency of communication is that the more vulnerable we show up, the more honest we show up, um, the better, the better that we all get. Yeah. It, that has definitely changed. I would, again, since I was uh, playing, there just was no room for what everyone would perceive as weakness, which was if you got upset or you cried. I mean, if a, if a 11 year old cries after a game because they lost, like that is actually appropriate. But let's say however many years ago, even there are some cultures that are the same way that don't allow that. Like, Hey, there's no crying. You want to cry, go get yourself a pillow or something. I don't yeah. know. 
Um, and so I think you're right. It, I think what we're starting to see is you begin to see even in these really high performing businesses, business cultures, uh, big teams, you're starting to see uh, more of the talk about vulnerability. Um, and it isn't, it isn't vulnerability like um, Instagram showing and, and crying on your, your, you know, your reels and showing all your painful moments. Like that's uh, sensationalism, I guess. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what that is, but some people do it and it's cringy vulnerability really is that like, Hey, this is where I'm at and I need help and I'm struggling and I don't know how to get myself out of this. Can you come alongside me? And the person that comes alongside also has to be vulnerable and say, Hey, wow, it's kind of scary to watch you be scared. I don't really know what to do either, but Hey, let's, the only way through this is through it. So let's go. Yeah, totally. And it's not easy, especially considering the last couple of years with the pandy and all that stuff, like just that's a, is a rough phase for all of us. I want to, I want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk through a theory that I have. And I, and I know we, we alluded to this earlier is I believe that there are often two people who show up to, to a race. And I think one of those people that shows up is the player. I think the second person that shows up is the competitor and maybe it's it's a step too far to say that one of them is showing up at their best and the other is showing up at maybe not their worst but what they think is maybe their best. I feel like the player shows up with a good dose of apathy and the competitor shows up with a great deal of personal confidence. Um and I believe in 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 coaching I say that there are two people that show up the player and the competitor and who are you going to be today? Because I believe that, uh, like we talked about with the dark place, um, that athletes have a choice to show up and, you know, apathy is, is usually not the best thing to show up with, but sometimes people get stuck and they say, when I stopped caring, I had my best race because I didn't worry about the outcome. But then on the other side of that, I have athletes that show up and they're just, they, they're like. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and I'll be damned if they don't execute on this, 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 and this. So I'm curious to kind of understand from you with your background and what you know of sport, do you believe that there are two people that can show up and can they shift or is it's, it's the luck of the draw? Yeah, that's a, I like that. It's a fun little analogy. Um, and I think something that people would understand too, because they're like, oh yeah, there, wait, there is a split, right? Cause I do think we do have splits, um, in us different places to access. Like we talked about earlier and the player, I would say as a, as a player or a person, like you're, you made the team, you are part of this. You were good enough to make this team. You are here. Um, but in order to really turn on what it takes to, be your best to be in excellence. You do have to shift into that competitor mode, which is a competitive mindset. It's, it's somebody who isn't satisfied with saying, Oh, I'm on this team and I'm wearing this Jersey. It's someone more like I am going to uh, make this Jersey proud. I'm going to make all of this. Everything that I'm doing today is going to be for the, the sole purpose of getting better. Even if I fall on the course, uh, and, and I don't make it all the way through, I'm going to do the best I can. A competitor will show up every single time a player might say, eh, 
oh, I'm here. I'm just going to put in the work. I'm just going to get my reps in, right? I think a competitor will show up every single time and try to get to that excellent place. Um, and yeah, I, th- I believe that's a mental skill. You know, you have to be, well, you have to, first of all, you got to understand which one you are, mm. who you are when you show up. It's why we do kind of emotional check-ins. Where am I at? How do I feel at the starting block? What's going on in my my mind? What's my mantra? Um, if you show up with no mental skills, then you are the, the player. If you show up to compete and you're a competitor, then you're definitely going to have to have something that's going to keep you firing on all cylinders the whole time. Yeah. And I, and I think to, to round this all the way back to my preamble, you're not given mental skills from the jump. You're not born with mental skills. It's argued whether you have grit or not. You're born with it or you're not. But mental skills are different. And this is where someone like yourself, I think, is an asset to any player, ball sports, running, whatever it is, is that if if you expect to get better and stronger in the gym, you go and you put in reps, right? You practice your sport, whatever it is. Running, you go get your mileage in. But if you if you feel that the thing that is in your way, right? The biggest barrier to success is that thing between your own two ears that you feel like is lying to you or isn't allowing you to, you know, go into that dark place. Maybe you're afraid of stepping into that place because it is scary and you're not quite sure what's there, or you find that you can't tap into something, right? Whether it's the ability to push yourself harder or get really uncomfortable. Well, you have to be able to have some skills, right? Like you don't just walk into college one day and they're like, dude, do you want a PhD and a doctorate? You just got to like, you know, write a couple, couple of answers on this piece of paper and here you go. No, it's reps, it's work, it's energy, it's focus, it's time. And so I think like someone like yourself, Priscilla, like being an, a tool and a resource for people to reach out to and, and talk to and get time with is that this is, that's where they get reps. This is where you get reps people by talking and working through scenarios and journaling and working through it. And so I wanted to kind of hear from you, like, you know, what do the exercises and what are those things like? Is it simply just sitting around and thinking? Like, I don't think a lot of people understand how to frame mental skills and training in their, in their tool bag of things? How does it work? What are the actual mechanics? Yeah. So um, first off, there's a two different kind of like domains to it. So sports psychology is typically the route most people go because you can, uh, there's kind of like a set of, I call them like flashcards for sports psychology that things like visualization and breathing, uh, mantras, self-talk, neutral talk, all these things that are kind of in the sports psychology realm. Um, I, came from the clinical side. So I came from the side where we learned about depression and marriage and family uh, dynamics. And we learned about anxiety and everything in the DSM from schizophrenia to bipolar to everything in between. Um, That's kind of the world that I came out of. So my, my job really for, for me and the nuts and bolts of it is, is to help some of the kids and most of the kids that I I work with. um, They really just need some life skills. And the life skills that whatever's happening on the outside is usually what's contributing to some kind of performance issue um, or, uh, you know, some dynamic within their team. 
um, could be relationships, could be uh, parental pressure, things like that. And so really the things that make us lose access to our skill um, or access to that competitor place are the distractions. And my work is um, let's find out what those distractions are for you. Let's find out what's happening in your body before you begin a competition. Where's that stress coming from? Uh, we dialed it down a little bit to, you know, is it just butterflies? What are the butterflies in your stomach trying to communicate to you? Uh, and, and so we kind of work through all the things that happen from feelings to physical responses to mental uh, thoughts, all of these things, um, and give them those tools so they can use them. Uh, I just was working with a girl. We were talking about um, beach volleyball is, is partners. You have, you have one other person on the court with you. Uh, and this person was having trouble with communication with her partner. Well, what are you currently doing to communicate with your partner? And it was crickets. So that's a very basic tools. Hey, well, here's what we're going to talk about before the game. These are the tools you need before. Here's some skills you need in the middle of the game. And then here are some skills to use after the game. So you can find out how to continue to get better and improve for the next game. Um, so it's really basic life skills on, on, for what I particularly do, um, versus like trying to give a 12 year old, a, a lesson on visualization is going to be really tough. Maybe it'll work for 18 year olds or 17 year olds. And some are really good at that, but some of these sports psych skills are really just, um, kind of hard for younger athletes. So when I, when I work with younger ones, I make age appropriate adjustments for them. And when I work with, cause I work with pros, they're, uh, volleyball pros in Europe, I'll use different skills for them. Um, so it really does, it kind of depends on the athlete, what they need and filling in the blanks where there's gaps. Yeah. I think, you know, as I, as I think through that, I think what people have to understand when we talk about running and we talk about mental performance is often, um, you know, that partner, just like you said, in beach volleyball, it's, it's that little thing that sits on your shoulder that says, you don't, you don't have to go that hard today, or you don't, you don't need to push it, or this is good enough. This is good enough. You're, you're, you're pushing hard enough. You're fine. You're fine. When the reality is that there's a lot more to give or it's that girl over there, she's going to beat you. She's yeah. There's no way you're catching up to that person. Or, mm. you know, there's the, yeah, that climb, that climbs really hard. You should probably walk that just walk it. You'll be fine. And then, and then maybe, maybe we'll run the next one and being able to kind of manage that little voice, that little gremlin, that thing that's there, that, that kind of takes you out of play, right. In, yeah. in a sport where you're always in play, it's that little voice in your head that takes you out of play. It puts you on a mental bench and you, you've now shifted from the competitor to the player. You're not just playing along, you're riding the bench um, and that's not the place where anybody wants to be. And so I, I want to be able to let you have just for the floor for a second here to be able to kind of share, um, one, the name of your business, where you, what you do, um, and where you can be found and, you know, all of those things, because I think, um, I'd be remiss if we didn't get a chance for you to share, uh, all that you do and, and who you work with. Yes. Well, I did want to say something really quickly about the Jump little gremlin. In. Yeah. So that would actually be really fun to almost play out, you know, even a role play scenario with, I don't know if you've ever done that with the gremlin yeah. or the, sh the shoulder guy. 
Do you want to, um, do you want to jump in right now? You want to, you could you write wanna, a letter to, you could no, write a letter you, you to the guy. You want to ask me? Yeah. Let's yeah, go let's for talk, it. Okay. Let's talk to him. Okay. So, um, first of all, d- uh, what is that? What is it? Is it a he or she? What, what is it? A hmm. gremlin? Is it a monster? What is it? You know, I think for me, I, I think of it as just a, um, it's the old, it's the, it's, it's the prior version of myself. You know, I've, I've lost almost 90 pounds. So it's the, it's the, the 220 pound, uh, early twenties version of me. I can see that person. Okay. What, uh, what, uh, okay. Trying to think of what you would call him. Does he have a name? What would you say? So back then everybody called me Andy. I absolutely hate it when people call me Andy. It is, it drives me bananas. So it's definitely Andy, 220 pound Andy, uh, sitting on my shoulder. Uh, do you like him? I like what he allowed me to become. I don't particularly enjoy that person because that person was very limited in what they could do. And their, their view of, of the world is pretty small. Okay. So if we were to begin, let's say we're going to start a run and can I call him Andy? Oh, go for it. Okay. So you're about to start a run and Andy is hanging out. Uh, Does he say something to you before every single run or does he show up in certain situations? You know, I think a lot of it shows up when I'm tired. You know, maybe I've had a really stressful day uh, or I've just got a lot on my mind and it's like, you don't have to go out today. It's fine. Like maybe just like I'll, I'll start off a run and, and on the planet, it'll say six miles. And that, that person, that Andy sitting on my shoulders, like you'd be happy with three, you know, is three's good enough. You know, you're tired. You've worked hard today. Three, three's fine. Is it ever a possibility to let him have a voice and let him win the day or, or do you always just shut him down? Well, we get out the door and, you know, by the time we get to like two and a half, like maybe it's like, okay, we got, Hey, we're getting, we're getting a three, you get to three and you're like, this isn't that bad. I'm already out here. And it's like five. And you're like, let's just get, we can, we can like, sometimes it is a battle the whole run to be like five. And it's like, fine, five, we'll do five. And that's good enough. And sometimes you have to rationalize to yourself. Like, you know, you are pretty tired today. Like there is that, that certain part of it where you are preserving yourself, but then there's also that part of you that's like, I could have gone another mile today. That's not that big of a deal. You know, and that's, that's where it gets hard. I think competition wise for me, like Andy doesn't show up in competition. Competition's my lane. That's what I love. (laughs) So Andy knows, Andy knows he doesn't belong there. Well, yeah. and here and here's where kind of I'm going. So every athlete's going to have their own version of Andy. Um, you know, everybody's going to have their own version of what that is, whether that's self-talk or, or whatnot. But but if we can personify it a little bit, we can actually have a discussion and be like, you know, hey man, like, have you ever sat down and write, written a thing? Not not that you have to right now, but write a thank you letter to him. Hey, thanks, man. Like, uh, dude, I, I, I didn't appreciate you at the time, but you've gotten me to a certain place. Yeah. Um, also like when you pop up, this is what I'm going to say to you. Do you have pre-written things that you can say to that character? Right. And I think, um, that's that part of that mental process of a lot of times we, our tendency is to shut it down. If I have butterflies, I'm like, Oh, I just want to just, uh, I don't want to be nervous anymore. Or if my hands are sweaty, I just try to dry them off. 
But but those are all cues um, to actually use uh, and something that we can use for our performance. And so even Andy on your shoulder serves a purpose for something. Um, whereas it's easier to just be like, like, and like get that thing off there. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes the most useful uh, work is to uh, just have a conversation or, Hey, I'm mad at you right now, dude. I want to run. Like, this is what I want to do. Why are you here? Why? You know what I mean? Like we can express our anger. It's not a real person. Um, so that's that would that would be super fun to even just, you know, what draw it out, right? Like yeah. write write a few questions and what what's actually what what strikes up curiosity for you. Um, because those are those are the mental skills, those are the processes by which we can overcome. And and sometimes it just stops us and we don't know what's stopping us uh until we take a little deeper look at it. Oh, for sure. I can think of plenty of times <laughs> when I've been in a race. Um, and I'm like, listen, okay. Like we're, we're, we're doing this. This is uncomfortable. We're there. You're, you're not like just you're over there. Right. And you, 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 maybe I shut that, that voice down and I'm like, all right, you can talk to me afterwards. Um, yeah. but, or Hey dude, let's run together. Uh, I bet you will love this. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, just try this out. It's, it's going to be good. It's going to be a <laughs> good time. It, then it's going to be like Andrew, like this, yeah. like a gremlin, like growth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe I'm just like waiting to become a transformer and I just like, boop, 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 boop. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, that's really know. what I have to do. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Think... That was really good. And I got a, I got a little flavor there of, uh, of, yeah. of some Priscilla Tolman coaching. That's right. And I think I, I, like, I do like to have fun with it because it can be a very serious topic, but it, it, we can have fun with this as well because all of us have issues. So it's not like it's this big secret and we all have it. And that's why I just try to normalize it. When I talk to my girls, like, Hey, like I'm a super duper introvert. This is hard for me. Uh, I have my screen on, you know, whatever. So normalizing all of our quirks is I think a good thing too. No doubt. No doubt. I, um, Wow, man, that was good. I really enjoyed that. And I'm going yeah. to have a go conversation with him because we've got to work out after this. So we're going <laughs> to tap into that. Maybe it's just like this, you know, little Lego man. That's just like, sitting Heck on my yeah. Um, so let's, let's jump in. Okay. I, I do know that, um, you have some amazing resources, just like the one here that Katie was able to share with me, um, as well as the ones that you shared, uh, with our group, where can people find resources? If people want to schedule time with you to talk to their own Andy, uh, where yes. would, uh, how would they find you? Where would they get a hold of you? So my website is spikedoctor.com, S-P-I-K-E-D-R.com. That's where I have things that I write about. Sometimes my mind gets full and I just write them out. Uh, my journals are available there as well. And uh, when when you buy them from my website, I actually add a bunch of like cool resources and like paper stuff, like things that I've um, made and made into uh, additional resources. So uh, they're on my website. They're also both uh, journals, the 30 day return to play and the 30 day champions journal are both on Amazon as well. And the 30 day champions journal just went ebook just to help out my international athletes. And Instagram is at spike doctor three S P I K E D R three. And that's about it. I got off Twitter. I got off Facebook. I'm just kind of just old school now. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, those are, you, you always post some great stuff. I love seeing more of you. Um, I know for me, my biggest like quirk, weird thing that, 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 Andy is definitely on my shoulder when it comes to like putting a phone in front of my face and talking to my audience. It's always a, a weird thing, but you've done a great job of 
you know, putting yourself out there and sharing, you know, really great stories with applicable information. So uh, if you guys are, are are thinking about getting your feet wet and this was a curious and interesting uh, episode for you, I recommend <laughs> go for the stock, go for the follow on Instagram, uh, buy some resources and try them out. I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about the journal is that it is, uh, it is something they can walk through by themselves. They can also walk through along some, someone else, just like yourself or even a partner, um, in just having that conversation. Uh, so Priscilla, I can't thank you enough for hopping on today, uh, and, and joining me. Yeah. So much fun. And I joked about it at the, uh, clinic or I want to say clinic, but it was your retreat. And I just, I think I'm going to force myself I'll have to overcome my, uh, I don't know what to call my shoulder person, but I, I think I'm going to run a 5k and then I'm going to let you guys know all about it. That's oh, a, that's good. a long, that's a long way for me, like a long way. So <laughs> it's a long way for a lot of people. So, uh, well, we're, we're here for the journey. So, uh, you know, you know what, if you want for fun, since you've put it out here, you can tag the podcast when, uh, when you're giving your updates. So we will hold you accountable. How's that sound? All right. We'll do I it. I have it. to wait till I have to wait till it's not 190 in Arizona. So we'll- yeah, well, <laughs> that's for sure. Maybe maybe yes. a winter 5Ks in your future. Then you got yes. enough time. I got it. <laughs> oh, thank you again for so much for coming on. Awesome, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Defining Endurance podcast. Want more knowledge after the show? You can go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Defining Endurance or follow me, Andrew, at Coach Simmons Runs, and and you can follow me, Lexi, at at coach underscore Lexi underscore lifelong endurance uh, on Instagram. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us find more listeners like you and put out more shows.